out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and rightdoing. There is a field. I'll meet you there. When the soul lies down in that grass, the world is too full to talk about. Ideas, language, even the phrase each other doesn't make sense. Hi everyone. I am so excited to introduce Mark to you. As you will hear, Mark and I met many years ago, but I judged him and I did not bother to get to know him. Years later, we ran into each other in the rooms of Narcotics Anonymous and I immediately felt an intense connection with him. How weird is that? I always loved Mark's sense of peace and his calm aura, but I never knew the paths he walked in order to develop his sense of spirituality. He uses words, concepts and practices that I have never heard of in my life and I doubt if I will ever be willing to investigate them for a deeper spiritual sense in my own life. I was truly in awe about his commitment and loved every second of our chat. I hope you do too. Here we go. Hey Mark, how are you doing? I'm alright Freddy, nice to see you, nice to be with you. It's amazing, we haven't seen each other. You said it's years, but it can't be that long. Far too long ago. It is really awesome to see you. I think of you so often. It's just lovely to be here. I've never seen your space. Mm. And it's such a nice space. It's so artistic. It's so you. Mm, thank you. It's you, nice to have you here and share this with you. You've been here a long time. Mm. It's uh, 14 years. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I've known you for how long? That's debatable. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 18 years? Yeah. Because I got to know you through a mutual friend. And I didn't like you. Not because I didn't like you, because I didn't give you a chance. <laughs> I judged you right from the start as I don't like you. And I'm so sorry I did that. Because knowing you, I missed out on so much in my life. <laughs> but, that, but I was just judgmental. I didn't allow people the opportunity to... I didn't allow myself the opportunity to experience people. Mm. You know, I was actually thinking of that earlier on. Can you believe it? I remember you saying that um, you had difficulty because you thought I was weird. Yeah. And I was just thinking, what does that mean? And, and now that you just said that, I would say... You know, how, you know, we label ourselves, like you say, that you're judgmental. Maybe you can just step and say, well, you judged. It doesn't mean yeah. that you're judgmental. There's a oh, difference. Oh, I like that, yeah. And I guess I just presented something that you were unfamiliar to. Yeah. So, You probably presented something to me that I wasn't ready to see myself. Yeah. And which now, looking back, I'm very grateful that I've discovered <laughs> because yeah. it, it, it presented me with an opportunity to get to know you better and to, to, to get to love you dearly. I mean, we don't see each other a lot, but, mm. you know, I often send a message and say, I think of you, you know, how are you doing? Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. type of thing. And also, I mean, we've, we've covered some ground together yeah. in our own journey, in our own spiritual journey, in our own journey of can do recovery, yeah. yeah. yeah we <laughs> I mean, yes, and especially like those early days and I'd say about a year into the early days when my recovery took a turn and I started seeing deeper layers of it. And and I think we had many things in common yeah. in that way. Yeah, so I mean, for me, you also, it's very much that you are, I'd say, like a spiritual brother. Yeah, um, I feel that as well. That's, because there's a, there's a, a sense of being a, you my peer. Yeah. And then also witnessing your um, 
leaving corporate world and <laughs> and going on your own, which is also what I did. Yeah. And and for me that's And very much at the same time without knowing exactly. <laughs> and and so there's almost like a maturing that happened on us on our parallel paths. Yeah. Because we kind we came into recovery at the same very time. Very much the same time, yeah. And I find that interesting because I, I, I watch it, it in other peer, people, other peers as well, yeah. and how there is a maturing. Also, as an astrologer, I'm looking at time frames, okay. and we we certainly covered the the seven year corner. Oh, cool! We, we crossed the seven year, we turned the seven year corner. Okay, so how how have you been? Oh. How's life treating you? How are you treating life? <laughs> Well, I can honestly say in the last two years, I have been thriving. And I, what I'm calling thriving is that I'm grounded, that I'm able to take care of myself financially. I'm eating well. I've got a roof over my head. And I'm growing artistically. And I feel it's the most comfortable I've felt in my skin, I would say, ever. And, I can say the same. And it's like... <laughs> How did we get here, yeah. you know? It's really, really weird. I sometimes just want to say it's age. But uh -huh. I, I, I don't think it's that. It's I think both of us that. have done a lot of work on ourselves over the past few years. It flows from that. Mm. You originally mm. from KZN, the old yeah. car. Yeah, I was born in Peter Maritzburg. Are your parents still alive? Are they still there? Where are they? Now my dad my dad died in 2001. Uh, my mom still lives there, my brother lives there, and my sister lives here in Cape Town. Okay. And are you close to them? Do you see each other? Very seldom. We're not particularly close. We, there's no animosity. And I'd say there's an intimacy. We can be very honest with each other and open with each other, but we just... I guess are very different people and are very independent people. Yeah. You've got no need to, to, to spend that no. closeness. You find that closeness in other people and other things. Yes. You don't need it in them. Yeah. Yes. And my family upbringing wasn't necessarily a happy place and a happy space. I think I would have preferred a more cuddly family. <laughs> you know, like when, when you've got siblings in like a puddle of puppies, yeah. you know, and like, but that wasn't the case. It was more detached and I guess more adults. Maybe that comes from dysfunctionality. My father was an alcoholic and there was, there was violence. There was always this like brooding violence. So <sighs> they kind of made a lot of space between things, I yeah. suppose. That changes dynamics forever. Yeah. Have you visited adult children of alcoholics yet? No, I think I need to, take, I need to play <laughs> that place. Of it visit. is so freaky that virtually every conversation I have ends up there. Really? Yes. And sorry for the, for the listeners, but I say it every bloody time <laughs> we talk. Is I hear such good things about it. People who've done the steps and the journeys in other fellowships suddenly end there. Yeah. And apparently... It rips a few layers of the onion off suddenly. Okay. One friend said to me, I feel a vulnerability that I've never felt. I feel a sensitivity. I feel, I feel that young boy whom I've never nurtured. He's with me suddenly. Have you not been? Have you gone? Not no, because I don't have an alcoholic parent. Uh, but, okay. but my journey at the moment is taking me to Codependence Anonymous. Yeah. 
okay. which um, I've been wanting to do for a very, very long time. And suddenly it's just happening. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. And did you grow up in a religious family, a spiritual family? No, a no religion at all. I went to Sunday school twice. My mom, she was a Sunday school teacher and then um, she looked towards the church for assistance and, and support um, in dealing with her alcoholic husband because her family actually rejected her for marrying my father Okay. soon after they were married. So she was looking at the church for support and she never got it. So she felt that the church, Christian church obviously, was fundamentally hypocritical. So she let it go. And then she, she has increasingly become atheist okay. and very strongly so. And that has had a bit of conflict for me because for me, in, in many ways, I feel very grateful that I wasn't brought up with any specific thing. Specific uh, organized religion enforced dogma type of thing yes and nothing was forced okay. I mean it, besides what we the indoctrination we had at school and I, I would say it was indoctrination I mean, <laughs> I was saying, I, I, I love, <laughs> you use that word without thinking about it <laughs> and I, I agree with you hmm. it was ex- exactly that yeah, it was assumed that yeah. this is the way it is I mean okay I also need to step back I don't really have issues around religions yeah. for me it's absolutely fine I think there's some good things about them in terms of community and development of one's spirituality and and there I do have a distinction between spirituality and religion yeah religion being far more culturally loaded but then it's also quite difficult to separate them out because we are also I can't pretend that I haven't been brought up within the Western tradition, which is primarily Christian, Judeo-Christian. But I also feel that in me, there was something before, but something that came through all of that, which I would say loosely is a kind of paganism, which in some way has come out through my being an astrologer. Yeah, I would say there's two schools. I mean, there's two ways of seeing things. There's a Western... Christian way and there's a a more pagan way and I feel that I embrace both of them. The Christian in a, I want to say in an atheist way. Okay. Which I know is a a total contradiction. Well, it's (laughs) it's interesting because I had a a, a chat with a guy the other day who referred to himself as a spiritual atheist. Yes, (laughs) I can go with that. Yeah. I can go with that. So the reason why that comes up is that I've had an enormous issue around this notion of a personal deity that that's okay I mean we we have this kind of picture of an old man with a beard this is yeah. in a cloud I've also realized well maybe real Christians don't think of God or the, the you know maybe it's the non-Christians who think of it like that <laughs> I, I mean maybe the non-Christians are the stupid ones who can't ha- lack imagination to have such a, a broad a broad imagination in order to, to, to things and see things in a more abstract way. I don't yeah. know. I, there's a part of me that wants to have a parent projection. I want to have a dad in the sky. I want to have a mom in the sky that can look after me and take every, make everything better. Yeah. But part of my journey is to realize, well, that isn't the case. And 
that mom and dad I need to develop for myself. So tell me about your journey mm. from atheist type of mother to where you are now. So there was always, I would say like a questioning, I guess. I could never describe myself as an atheist. So, I mean, I suppose as an agnostic. And I mean, they're just words. Yeah. And then I'd say in my late 20s, my Saturn return, I really woke up to there is spirituality and what is that? And then I got into a lot of new age stuff. I started meditating then. Um, so late 20s? Late 20s. Did you get introduced to, to meditation by friends? Yeah, and it was a. It was when I'd moved to Durban. I, I was married. I just got married um, to a woman. So I mean, that was also mine. Was also really. It wasn't clear for me. It was, and it wasn't. I mean, I, it was just a nest of a whole lot of things I didn't want to look at. Okay. But what was interesting is when my when I woke up, and I'd say I woke up spiritually when I was twenty eight my sexuality also started going crazy like a whole lot of stuff i started acting out in i want to say unconscious ways but it sounds like your sexuality woke up with your spirituality totally so the one said okay totally. kind of, if we're going to wake up let, let's wake up in, yeah as a, as, a, as, a, as a wholeness as yeah. a, a holistic way yeah which was also difficult to reconcile because the ideas that I had around spirituality, which were, was very transcendent, which was kind of, which is, is a Western model, but even Buddhist models are quite transcendent. It's like kind of moving away from the body and the body being dirty or bad. And of course, sex being dirty and bad. And I certainly grew up with sex being dirty and bad. Absolutely. Like hugely. My first introduction to a sexual conversation was around castrating somebody because he impregnated somebody else. Oh my God. <laughs> so, well, so that's the, a solution. <laughs> so, so the, the first open conversation in the family was, if I, if I catch that boil, I castrate him. Yeah. Yeah, for me it was more, I mean, my mom was like the absolute ultimate virgin and sex doesn't happen and sex doesn't actually exist. So it's like total denial yeah. and it just doesn't exist. And my father, who was very lewd and uh, he had a, like a dirty attitude towards yeah. sex. Um, so that's quite a ripping Conflicting, tension. yeah, oh. absolutely. How were you as a teenager? Were you kind of dark and broody? Were you bright and breezy? Were you compliant? Well, because of the, the alcoholic situation in the home, I never had friends. I never okay. had friends at home. So you were too ashamed to bring them into your space? Yeah, and... and it, it wasn't necessarily shame. It was just, it was something that just didn't happen. It wasn't encouraged. So I had a very weird social thing. And, and uh, my growing up, because I'm the eldest, I mean, it's five and a half years, I spent a lot of time by myself. Yeah. So. Which was okay. I, I didn't really mind. But it means I, I think I really, I didn't have those early social development things. Okay. Those aren't really in place. I don't know if you can catch them up. Mm. <laughs> can you? I think we're trying our utmost. 
we're trying to grow up. <laughs> we're trying to, to, to learn those skills that we just didn't acquire when somebody like Piaget would say we should have. <laughs> and well, Rogers, you know, it's kind of, at that stage, you should have acquired the, the following and we just did it. And what I'm learning, I've been doing a lot of listening to podcasts and stuff, and what I'm learning is that that early development, so our early morality, we, we learn morally through play. So it's a physical thing. It's not through words. It's not yeah. an intellectual thing. I've been really influenced by evolutionary biology of late. Okay. I, I feel I was brought up in a more mental way. Yeah. And I miss out, and I don't think you can actually learn those things later on in life. Yeah. Eh? There's a big gap. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. And I, I get that. I mean, that mm. therefore leads to a whole lot of intimacy issues and physical, how I am physically around other people in a body, around yeah. other bodies. It's difficult. You mentioned earlier that you wished your family was more like puppies. There we go. Um, and I grew up in a family also where for a very long time we were never touched and hugged. We were never we told that, that, that we were loved. Yeah. I, had, I made a conscious decision to, to, to break that mold and to start hugging my family members when I see them yeah. um, and to tell them I love them. Yeah. The first time my mother told me she loved me in my late 20s, I called my brother and asked whether she's got cancer. Oh whether she's young. <laughs> And she wasn't a cold. She wasn't a cold yeah, woman. Yeah. It was just that that love was expressed differently, and for them that that was completely okay. I just had a different need. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to be touched and and told that I'm okay and told that I'm being loved and told yeah. that I'm being cared for. Yeah, but touch is is really important. Mm. You know, and all those studies where babies aren't touched, they die. Yeah. Or if they, and if they don't die, there's some like really fundamental uh, psychological yeah. disorder that takes, takes place. My, one of my favorite psychological studies was that one where the, where the was it rhesus monkeys, where they, 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 they kept the, the baby hungry for a while and then introduced him to two mannequin mothers. Yeah. One was covered in wire and the other one was covered in fur. The one with the wire had a banana and the one covered in fur had nothing. And the child, the hungry monkey was released and they went for the fur. Now I want to cry. <laughs> they went for the touch, not for the food. Yeah, so that's how fundamental it is. Yeah. Yeah, so I did go to university and that was interesting because um, politically that was a huge thing for me. I had been brought up in a very... I'd say like verging on Nazi, highly racist background, and then thrown into liberal university and coming up against or being introduced to Marxism and all this stuff, and not really being having it um, presented in a scholarly way. It was more in a social way. Like yeah. I had very left wing. Um, peers and very left-wing um, lecturers so I was kind of I would say also indoctrinated yeah. and that I broke through last year oh wow I, I encountered a, um, a very outspoken um, professor he's he's gone viral on, on YouTube um, Jordan Peterson okay and he stands for freedom of, of, of speech and he's and he also stands for the Western tradition and the Western um, university which is to present the spectrum of philosophy of worldviews political views and then as a scholar you expose all of that and then you choose or you yeah. develop your own 
And that certainly wasn't my experience. Yeah. My experience was that there is only the left way of seeing, there is only the Marxist way of seeing, and it was only until last year that I realized, well, there are other ways yeah. of seeing, and it's if you're not Marxist, it doesn't mean that you're a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> There's things in between. So that must have been a complete culture shock for you, coming from totally. a Christian national totally. education system to, to, to suddenly being exposed to, to, to all of this stuff as well. Totally. What did you study? I did fine arts. Fine arts, okay. Which is uh, more progressive, more open. Yeah. What did you study? I studied, um, I went to varsity to become a psychologist. I studied BA psychology and sociology. Okay. But I hated the psychology department. I, I couldn't relate to them at all. So your varsity life, was there a sense of spiritual development while you were discovering all this other political being, the growing in art? Because you're an artist. Do you, do you call yourself an artist? Yeah. So, I mean, art had always been there. And it was what was interesting was I did the other subjects I did. So, I mean, your fine art course is very much set. You don't have... You, within it, you're going to choose. Are you going to do sculpture? Are you going to do this? Whatever. Yeah. Um, but you'd, I still needed to do other BA subjects. So, there's history of art. And, I mean, a huge part of art and, and certainly art history is the spiritual you know, artists have always been engaged with yeah. portraying or engage, being or representing spiritual states. Absolutely. And, and in some cultures, the shaman is also the artist. So the artist is also kind of like the, the kind of priest shaman person. Yeah. And then I also did philosophy. Okay. So philosophy has always been there. And philosophy is also a way into spiritual metaphysical realms and then i also did religious studies which i i I really wasn't focused in that course and then i and i did classical classical civilization which i mean the greeks and the romans that certainly um anchored a kind of paganism yeah so what what i'm hearing from you is that your spiritual growth was part of your growth journey it was kind of embedded yeah it's always been there in it Mm. okay always been there so that i mean when i was at varsity it was there was also there was that phase of happy clappers i don't know if you had it i think it was (laughs) an 80s thing so there was that lurking around look i mean i i was exploding when i went to varsity because i had my new freedom and I mean, my, my first, the first thing that I w- was able to, exp- the, the way I would express myself was with my parents. So, I mean, and it was the early 80s and it was just crazy. I mean, I caused car accidents with the way I looked. And um, <laughs> it was wild. It was really wild. And so then sharing the same space with like happy clappers and I'm going wild. So it was kind of, Okay, Christianity is bad. I think I, you know, I worked through a whole lot of that stuff, and then I encountered the New Age stuff, as I said in my late twenties, which also was. I think the New Age is very denigrating towards religions, and I don't know if that's really fair. And I was exposed to a lot of, like, quite far out New Age things. Okay. Like channeled entities, um, alien stuff, um, human potential stuff, 
And did you go on that ride? Did you, as yeah, you got introduced no, to them? I was very you... immersed in it. Okay. I was very, very immersed in it. And I feel very different. For me, a lot of that is very much wishful thinking. Like, oh, I can create, I'm creating my own reality and I can change it just by what I'm thinking, which life has shown me isn't the case. And there's more to life than what I'm thinking. Zen has certainly shown me that. <laughs> can actually put down the thinking there's something far bigger or more or whatever before thinking. Yeah. It was fluffy. It okay. was very, it kind of flaky, like what you were saying about psychology. It was also... Okay. I mean, at the same time, I also studied astrology. I did a two-year astrology course. So that I okay. was taking very seriously. And there's something very pragmatic about astrology because it's... You can see what's going on. It's the movement of the planets and yeah. it's the movement of, of seasons. So that's very grounded. You know, I mean, I, that, then I came across the flower of life stuff or the Pleiadian stuff. I mean, it's like far out shit. Oh, wow. Like way out yeah. shit. And it could also still be all true. Absolutely. Yeah. I won't be surprised if it, if it is true. But... I got a very clear message in my mid-30s towards, or maybe even later, I, I need to be more grounded. Okay. It was a, Those were mechanisms to unground myself, and of course that also fed into a whole lot of drug addiction. So coming into recovery, which only happened in my mid-40s, I had to drop a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Because it was ungrounding me. You mentioned meditation earlier. You also teach meditation or you did at some stage no i've just been part of groups okay um so that first introduction to meditation was through lazarus which is a channeled entity okay and lazarus is pretty fucking amazing it's really incredible and it would also and the standard format would be um like a two-hour thing and You'd have like an hour or 45 minutes introduction to a specific topic. There would be a meditation and then the, 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 and they would still cassette tapes. <laughs> the fourth side. <laughs> the good old like days. <laughs> a practical application of whatever it was, like how you can actually apply this in your life. And it's very much about, um, well, you do most of your work in meditation. So I, I, I understood meditation as this, the space that you can go into, which is you're working on astral, on the mental plane, not astral plane. I mean, I got into all those kind of stuff, like you've got all these different yeah. planes and all the different <laughs> chakras and all this shit. And as I say, yes, I mean, I think it is true. I think it, it's there, but I need to be here in a physical space. So, but I'm sidetracked. So in terms of meditation, meditation became a lot of thinking and a lot of like doing in in mental space and that changed when I started when I encountered a whole lot of Tibetan stuff and a whole lot of Buddhist stuff and then I went to Shambhala where it was no you meditation is actually finding a space where you can look at thoughts and um, you can also be in a space where you don't engage in with thinking it's not that thinking stops thinking no. never stops but there's space around thinking, there's space around thoughts. And that was like, wow, <laughs> wow. You know, so it just brought a whole lot more space into my life that there's before thinking. Yeah. You mentioned earlier drug use. Obviously, I know there was that because that's how we met. That's what 
in recovery, we that's how we connected yes. through recovery. But did you take drugs in a way to connect spiritually? Did you, did you connect it with spirituality in, in any way? Yes. Well, I had a I had a very powerful experience. I was doing a course called psychophonetics, so that was based on Steiner, and that's a healing mo- modality of. It's kind of like magical theater where you go into a hold of um, emotional wounds, psychological wounds, and then you act it out. Okay. Um, and it, it's very strong. So I was doing that course. So I was quite processed and processing. And then I did, I'd been doing, I, I discovered, well, I started doing psychedelics in my early 30s. They seemed very spiritual to me. They seemed to open up spiritual yeah. spaces. And for me, it was also like a shamanic path. And then I did an ayahuasca, which was extremely powerful. What is that? That's the South American, well, it's DMT. So that's the neurochemical that gets released when you die. It's like the death experience. Oh, my God. And it was a very powerful experience. So, And it was um, beautifully held by a 13th generation Peruvian shaman. So, I mean, it was like, (laughs) we get the best. (laughs) And it was very beautiful. It was well held. He was such a master at what he was doing. And I had an experience there, which I call one of the most powerful experiences of my life. And and it's difficult to put it into words because it's psychedelic space and it's just like nonverbal. And basically, I, I, I found myself in a space where I was nothing. And I knew that to be like the essential self and it was home and it was extremely plain it was like water it wasn't like hysterical or fireworks it was dead fucking plain okay and i got a very distinct message that that was home and it felt absolutely fine and whatever i identify with prevents me from being there it sounds as if the picture I'm getting in my head is of a tree in winter stripped of all its leaves. Of the, the, yes. the, 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 all you see is the essence of what there is without the noise, without the razzmatazz and the hangings on, on yes. the, all those things, just plain. But yes. that's essence. Well, it was or more. <laughs> the essence is a bit of an issue because that can bring up a whole lot of other things. It was more an emptiness. Okay. And an emptiness that wasn't scary. I I like the analogy of water, where water is just very plain and it really satisfies a thirst. It's the only thing that will satisfy. So that emptiness, which I also now experience in meditation, is that satisfies that spiritual, and I want to say it's a spiritual thirst. So three months after the ayahuasca, I did the Vipassana, which is a 10-day silent retreat. Oh my God. So you're meditating from, (laughs) and it is Hardcore. Ayahuasca is hardcore as well. Because you go, it's like you sit in hell and you burn. You go, you burn in hell and you're burning off a whole lot of shit. Oh my God. It's not like a Wilson, it's not a party drug. (laughs) (laughs) It's not an ecstasy trip. (laughs) It's not an ecstasy trip. And... So I did ayahuasca, I mean, I did Vipassana. So you're meditating from half four in the morning till nine o'clock at night. And it's really hard. And 
it's also like an initiation in fire. You like burn up. And I had a very similar experience on okay. as I did on ayahuasca. So that for me said, okay, that states, and I'm aware that it's not something that I'm chasing. It's not something that can be attained because in a sense it is already. It's not something to chase after. Is achievable through meditation. So at the same time, I was I was exposed to in school theory by Ken Wilber, and he is a huge advocate of of meditation, and he talks about various layers and levels of consciousness okay. and consciousness development. Yeah. So meditation change. So Vipassana is a Buddhist lineage. So it's a it's kind of going as like the very pure. Buddhist technique from Buddha the meditation it anchored me in a very physical experience so did the ayahuasca actually of being truthful okay. in my body yeah not going into dilly fantastical imaginative realms it's very pragmatic visceral and then I was able to, and I started, I had to get honest that a lot of that psychedelic stuff was sheer escapism and was part of my addiction that okay. I didn't want to be here, which continued. I mean, I had done that at, when I was 42, but that continued and got progressively worse until my mid forties, the okay. desire to escape. So I, I mean, behind all of this was a deep issue with being physical a deep issue of being a human, a deep issue with being in a body, and being suicidal from the age of nine. I didn't fucking want to be here. They, it went through stages of being highly dramatic, like drama, poor me. Yeah. But there was just, I just didn't want to fucking be here. Yeah. I didn't know how to navigate this being human. It was so <laughs> fucking confusing. <laughs> and it was only until I got into recovery, put the fucking drugs down, all, all that stuff to escape. Yeah. Which included not eating, not sleeping, not having money, being poor a lot of the time, having crazy ideas. And it was only when I got into recovery and started doing very basic things like sleeping and eating properly and taking care of my health that I think my spirituality could awaken. Yeah. The, before that, it was scrabbling around in the dark i'm not saying that i'm in the light now i know i mean it's a case of i know i don't know or i know that there's a whole lot of stuff that i don't yeah i was there was always that thing i've got to pretend that i know all mm. this shit i don't fucking know i'm okay with not knowing yeah. it's okay not to know it's actually great not to know so it sounds as if oh well okay let's let me try and ex explain to you what i think i heard over the past few minutes is your Trying to escape brought you back to you. And it was only once you you could take the, 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 the falseness that drugs created that you could see the true you and actually connect with, with that whole path that, that everything you've learned. Once you put the drugs down, you could connect with, with that action and start pulling it into a hole. Um, I don't, that puts, that lays a lot at the drug's door. It, it as, as a, a bad. Yeah, it, it lays a lot at the, at the door of addiction, which I don't 
necessarily go with. Okay. I think this is very much the human condition, and I think it's very much being born into the human condition that a whole lot of things happen. And yes, I am an addict, and I've got an addictive personality. That's absolutely. <laughs> I'm waving my arms and, and shaking my head and <laughs> identifying. <laughs> and what that really means is that I've got all these mechanisms in place that can pull me out of being truthful yeah. and being honest and about being in a body. Okay. That's what addiction very much is about for me. Escape. Okay. Spirituality isn't about escape. And I thought it's, I think for a while I thought spirituality was. It was about transcending this, yeah. getting away from this, which many religious paths are. Another thing, just, you know, what we said about addiction was that also that inauthenticity and all of that. I came across a whole... Jung has always been part of my story as well. And Jung has always been part of recovery. Absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, yeah. he is just amazing. And, and for me... That I was never a, got Jung as a student. I never, ever got Jung. Well, I don't think it gets taught. I think because he, he's so complex. And I think also Jung will say, how much responsibility are you really willing to take? Because he basically lays it all at our feet and says yeah. you're responsible for it all. There is no room for victimhood. Yeah. Mm. And victimhood used to be my savior. Exactly. It's all their fault. <laughs> and as an addict and as somebody who didn't want to be truthful and honest, yeah. I knew how to be the victim. Oh my god. Because victims get away with murder and they get away victims get other people to do things for them. Yeah. Which is a complete way of manipulating. Living living manipulation. Total yeah. manipulation. For me, is active addiction fully totally. Oh wow! So as you sit here today, you you identify. How do you define yourself? Oh, it's hard. <laughs> you, you've and mentioned the you. Like okay, so it's, it's been a, this thing of finding you. Well, yeah. what is you? I mean, if if my big awakenings were well, the you is emptiness. Well, then what what am I? Empty? Nothing. Yeah. You know, and, then, and that comes as relief. So what is this thing that I call you, myself, I? It's, yeah. it's all that. I mean, okay, Jungian stuff, it's the, the, the big self, all that stuff. And words... Just, just don't, don't do it for you. No. Okay. No. In what way do you practice your spirituality today? Or in which way do you live it? Yeah, it's a... How does one live it? I mean... There's certain practices, and those practices can be as plain as making my bed, eating properly, having enough sleep, brushing my teeth, to meditating, to doing yoga. Yoga has also been very much part of my practice, yeah. so it's, it's a relationship with my body. It's, um, I mean, Zen is also, it's like before thinking mind. But then it's also, how am I treating, okay, how am I treating myself, but how am I treating other people? Am I coming from my head or am I coming from my all self? Yeah. Am I being honest? I suddenly feel like crying now. Fabulous. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, Fred, isn't it just all about being honest? You know, and you are another me. So when I look at you, I'm seeing me. And how yeah. am I treating you? Is how I'm treating me. Yes. Yeah. The picture I have of you in my head is such an amazingly connected individual that 
animal connection was just part of what I saw in my head. Oh, you're no love, but you, I do love cats. I mean, yeah. I've, and I've had many cats in my life. And I get cats. I mean, I really... I, I'm not a dog person. Is it? Uh-uh. I mean, dogs are gorgeous. All animals are gorgeous. I, I love, love animals. You're vegetarian. Cats, You're vegan. Vegetarian. No, no, no. Not even. No, a lot of people assume I am. And I think we've had this conversation actually a few times already. No, no and... I, I mean, I'm eating more meat than I have in my entire <laughs> life. <laughs> Bad, bad you. <laughs> I mean, okay, you know, try and do it as ethically as possible, you know. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, my body actually wants meat. But, but also, you know, being in recovery, I think the, the most important thing that an addict can do, I believe, is re-establish a relationship with the body. Absolutely. Because as addicts, we are not in our bodies. And we force our bodies to do things that are really not good. Like smoking fucking cigarettes. Yeah. I mean, hello. The body does not want to breathe in smoke. It's yeah. very plain. And we breathe it in and then we stand around and we, we, we <laughs> pose. Like this is the coolest. It's the, the, we are the coolest. I mean, what the fuck? How dishonest can you get? Because you, you worked at 12-step program on smoking, on smoking, don't you? Yeah. I, I think I learned more about the application of 12 steps when I quit smoking than I did when I quit drugs and alcohol. Exactly. It was, it was <laughs> because a you've really got to use it. It was a complete different level of, 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 of connection and asking for, for help and, and, and powerlessness. I mean, every 20 bloody minutes you feel like a cigarette. Well, drugs, you know, kind of every... I don't know, but it, it, was, it was far harder. It was, I loved it. I, I loved taking myself on, on that journey. Well done for doing it. I mean, isn't that yeah, such well done, a release? Well done self. A release of yeah. slavery. It is Don't such slavery there. Listen, Mark, last question. Let's, let's wrap it up. I think... I don't well, know if this makes any sense, does it's it? A, it's perfect. Really? Yeah, absolutely. It seems like a big jumble. No, I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> I truly am. <laughs> Listen, um, there's a one question I always ask, and I... I don't know why, because I started doing it and it, it feels right. And it's going to be interesting to your answer. Are you happy? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And what contributes to that happiness, as opposed to you being suicidal? It's doing all those very ordinary things. It's doing the very ordinary things. Being present, being, yeah. Making my bed, eating, getting sleep. You know, I can... I've gone to a new thing of watching a lot of YouTube and then I want to start doing that before, when I get into bed and then yeah. I don't sleep, yeah. you know. So it's like getting enough sleep and waking up in the morning. Those things, just having that in place, doing those basic things, then it creates a good foundation, it creates a good structure for happiness just to be. I mean, I've learned the difference between joy, ecstasy and happiness. Happiness resonates with that water analogy. It's playing. Yeah. And I also feel that it is, it, it's a basic requirement. Because if I'm not happy, then there's this niggling thing. And it's just, life is unbearable. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's a balance point between a whole lot of things. Because as you say, if we're not happy, is it worth it? <laughs> it's not. It's exactly. Not. It's not. I can't. Yeah. But then, I don't think there's a formula to it. 
years ago I understood the do and I also understand it from an astrological point of view. Happiness corresponds with needs being met. Yeah. And joy corresponds to our de desires being met. Okay. So desires in some sense can be forfeited. They can't really, but they can be forfeited. Whereas needs cannot be yeah. forfeited. They have to be met. And that's Maslow. And then there is also the hierarchy of needs. Yeah. So the, the, the moment the bottom one is then we develop, develop, yeah. develop, develop. I love Maslow. I, I like that. Fantastic. Yeah. Also, what I've learned from Maslow is that the spiritual need actually is the top one. So basic things like food, clothing, that has to be done yeah. first. And I think I had it, always had it the other way around. I was always chasing spirituality oh. before my belly was yeah. full. You can't meditate. You can't... I don't believe you can even approach your 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 spirituality until that's done. And, th and that also makes sense why we go into or maybe we develop our spirituality as we get older because we're more sorted, yeah. you know. I really like what you said there. It's as if you had it the other way around. I had it the other way around. What I found interesting as well is I studied, I did my formal education in the early 80s. And then I, I did another round of studies a few years ago. And suddenly Mas Maslow had a sixth level. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> this is, and it was interesting that, that the level that, that, that my work was like was on the sixth level. Okay. What yeah. is the sixth level? The giving. Okay. Yeah. Giving back. Yeah. But Mark, we need to do this again. There's, there's some stuff that I want to, 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 sure. to go deeper into. Yeah, so, no, this, was been, this has been very lively. Yeah. Um, a lot of people in off, oh, when we off air are saying, God, you, you, we went to places where I haven't been for a very long time, to things that I haven't thought about for, for a very long time. And afterwards, I speak to them again, I say, you know, since our chat, some things, I've made some changes again in my life. Yeah. But awesome. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. I really, thank really you appreciate it. I can't wait to, to get this live. <laughs> yeah, and I'm terrified because I don't want to hear it. I can't stand my voice. <laughs> I hate it. When I hear my voice, I want to die. There are some people who are refusing to talk to me because of that. Is it? Yeah. Well, I don't know if I'll ever listen to it. <laughs> I'll force you. So I'll, tie, I'll tie you to a bed. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. Look after yourself. Thank you, Fred. Wow, that was really one of the most intense conversations of this podcast series so far. I have so much respect for Mark and his utter commitment to find the path that works for him. I love his inclusiveness on his journey, as well as his non-judgment of whatever comes along his path. I am so lucky that I received an original Mark Rotenbach from Mark as a parting gift, and have decided to use a non-professional picture taken by myself with my cell phone as a picture for this podcast episode on my website. It says enough. Mark's way of reminding me that I am enough. I like to think that it is a message to all of us. Not only are we all enough, but it helps to truly embrace the concept of enough in the way we live our lives. You can learn more about Mark's artistic endeavors on his website, Mark grotenbach.com forward slash the educators new clothes and on his youtube channel www.youtube.com forward slash user forward slash mark splendid tv if you have any feedback or remarks please feel free to pop me an email or connect on social media 
it will be great to hear from you. If you want to know more about what I do, please feel free to connect with me on my website, on my website, which is www.freddy.org.za, or find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash freddy.org.za, or on Twitter at at Freddy. Remember that Freddy is always spelt with an IE at the end. Be safe. Bye.